says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. That's two generations. All these generations, they'd known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. They were both faithful in serving God. And then Judges chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. The Israelites finally made it to the promised land, and they started to settle in. They got comfortable in the promise. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Verse 8 and 9 talks about the death of Joshua and where he was buried. And then verse 10 has a transition to a new generation. Someone say a new generation. generation. We're about to see how this generation is defined from the outset in negative terms, creating a clear contrast between Joshua's generation and their generation. Verse 10, it says, when all that generation had been gathered together to their fathers, another generation arose after them. This new generation, they didn't know the Lord. They weren't living in a right relationship with God. They didn't know the work which he had done for Israel. Not only did they not have a relationship with God, the power of God was not present in their generation. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served other gods. They forsook the Lord the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people, among the culture around them, the media, the news. They started to serve gods of this world. Verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. The Israelites are now a lost generation. Look to your neighbor and say, a lost generation. Look to someone else and say, a lost generation. Before you're seated, can you put your Bibles down or your smartphone? And can you lift your hands unto God and say, God, I open up my heart to receive your word today. God, I want to be convicted. I'm not coming with a magnifying glass expecting this sermon to be for somebody else. But this sermon is for me. I want to be changed. God forbid that a generation is lost because of my lifestyle. So whatever I have to do today to get it right, God, help me to do it. In the name of Jesus, I praise you right now for what you're going to do. Amen. If you're going to preach with me, you may be seated. Auntie Cookie thought that was funny. She's watching y'all. If one of y'all ain't preaching, she's going to come over there. (laughs) Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, What shall be first? Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? How in the world are the Israelites being defeated by the Canaanites? It wasn't that long ago that they entered into the promised land. They marched around the walls of Jericho, and they watched those walls come tumbling down. But now the Israelites are being afflicted by the Canaanites. This strong nation is losing a battle. The author wrote this historical account in Judges 1, and he gives a flashback to reveal how the Israelites got in that situation. He starts that flashback in Judges chapter 2. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. God says, why have you done this? 
Therefore I also say, I will drive them out before you, and they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be snares to you. So it was that when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the Israelites, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed his people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. They got comfortable in the promise. Someone say comfortable in the promise. They finally made it to the promised land. But the main scriptures we read today reveals that they lost something. Now, don't you hate when you lose something? Don't you hate that? Have you ever left your car in a parking lot? Maybe at Walmart? So y'all laughing because y'all know it ain't just me. You look crazy walking around trying to press the clicker. My wife has the one with the battery. I don't, so I'm like, I can't press it. It doesn't do nuts, so I'm just like walking around trying to look for it. And Walmart's so big, they got so many registers, but only one open, so you don't even know which side you came in on. So you're just walking around lost. What about when you lose that matching pair of socks? We was at Brother Cowden's house the other day, and he had to move the couch, and there was like 30 pairs of socks that Miles just dumped back there. And it was like, where are all the socks? Kanisha and him are going crazy. What about that time when you, when you lose that thought, and it's just at the tip of your tongue, and you're just trying to remember it, but you just can't get it out? Alonda told me a story about one time when Zara was playing hide-and-go-seek, but she didn't let Alonda, her mommy, know that. So Zara's nowhere to be found. Alonda, you know, at first is like, Zara, ha, 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 looking in the normal spots, you know, under the bed, the closet, and they, she, she can't find her. So then, like a great mom does, because Alonda's a great mom, she starts to freak out and says, where is Zara now? And you know you're in trouble when mama uses that voice. Zara! Yeah, she uses, she uses that voice. She goes outside. She's wondering, did someone open the door? Did someone take her? What's going on with my child? Seconds turned to minutes. It was like five minutes, and she's freaking out. And all of a sudden, she came back in, and underneath the curtain were tiny little toes. Alana says she ripped that curtain back and picked her up. It's like, man, I want to beat you up. I love you. I want to hug you. She's sad and angry and happy all at the same time. Just a whirlwind of emotions. She thought she was lost. What about that time in your living room when you see that cockroach? So you go underneath the kitchen sink to get a bottle of Raid. You come back, the cockroach is gone. You lost the roach. Natalie, we're moving back to Atlanta. Sell the house. We'll pay the bills. We ain't going with that cockroach. No, sir. And down here, they fly. Up in St. Louis, they don't have that. The ones here, they fly. They're mutants. It was my wedding day. Me and my best friend Cullen were there, and the photographer came in and said, it's time to take pictures, and we was excited. So we put on our jackets, and all of a sudden, I looked down, and I have no shoes. They were 25 minutes away in the hotel, lost. Even worse than that one time, I lost something that I will never, ever, ever forget. At the same time, a pink house shoe came smacking across my face. I heard my grandma say, you done lost your mind. How many of y'all got kids that done lost their mind before? You need to just smack them with a house shoe or something. Kylea's not old enough to talk back, but, you know, I've lost my mind before. I've talked back a, a time or two. I looked up the top five things that people here in the United States lose. Keys, wallet, phone, remote control, glasses. Kids obviously have a very different list. They lose hats and mittens, school supplies, jackets, lunchboxes, backpacks. How many of you have ever lost one of those things? 71% of Americans say they lose their keys at least once a month. How many of y'all have that problem? I think there's a gremlin because Natalie says she doesn't move my stuff, 
But I come home and the house is clean and the keys aren't where I thought I really put them, but they really weren't there. And I hate the question, where did you last have them? <laughs> They're lost. If I knew, I'd, they wouldn't be lost. 50% of people say that they are regularly late for work because they're looking for something that they lost. The average time we look for an item is 5 minutes and 20 seconds. So that means in the altar call when you're looking for Jesus, it better be more than 5 minutes. <laughs> that ain't my sermon. We better take some time in the altar, though. 69% of people say they find one lost thing while looking for something else that's lost. And most people obviously lose things in their homes and on the weekends. But however, there is hope. Because they say forgetfulness is a sign of intelligence. Look to your neighbor and say, you're smart. There was a lot of sarcasm in the room. Husbands, y'all are sleeping in the doghouse tonight, the way you said that. You, 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 you smart. But those scientists say that forgetfulness is a sign of intelligence. In the case of the Israelites, it's the opposite. It was a sign of convenience. Someone say convenience. It was a sign of compromise. Someone say compromise. It was a sign of them being careless. Someone say careless. They were careless with the most important thing in the entire world. The Israelites lost God. Now, you might be able to lose your keys. You might look crazy walking around Walmart trying to find your car. But one thing you and I cannot afford to do is to lose God. We better not lose what God has done for our lives. We better not let the next generation lose what God has done for our lives. We better not let the next generation lose out on the word of God. God forbid that we lose out on doctrine and the truths of the word of God from this generation to this generation to that generation. But I got to do whatever it takes to make sure the next generation, those children in Chip's ministry, the children in the crowd, that they know the word of God I want to preach the same message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost I want to say and talk and walk the same way that Paul the apostle preached and walked and talked in the Bible I want the next generation to know truth someone say amen, amen. I want the next generation to know that there is only one God Deuteronomy 6 4 hear Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and his name is what Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. First Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. There is only one God. That's why Brother John's preached Wednesday night that in him dwells all the fullness of the God head bodily. Kylea, there is only one God. And in order for her to know that, it has to start with us. It has to start with me. I want the next generation to know truth. I want them to know John 3 verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except they may be born of water, and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Look to your neighbor and say, born again. Acts 2.37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For that promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We better get one thing straight. I'm not going to let the next generation be lost because I'm going to stop preaching that there is one God that you got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. We still preach repentance. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We still preach repentance to the world. You can come in here messed up and jacked up, but you don't have to leave the same way you came. Hey, we accept everybody. I don't care what your past is. Come as you are, but then leave like Jesus. We still preach Jesus' name baptism. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle, I'm a friend, I'm an evangelist, but I have a name. Jesus is a deliverer, strong tower, father, son, Holy Ghost, the righteous run into him and they are safe. He's a rock, he's a fortress. He has all kind of relationships with different people, but overall his name is And that's why we baptize in that name. Because Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. We still baptize in Jesus' name. That's not going to die when Brother John's generation goes on to glory. That's going to be passed on to the next generation. We still believe in the initial evidence. Of speaking in other tongues when someone's filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just like what happened with Buck. We don't have to go to Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19, 22 either. Let's go to Joel 2, 28, Numbers chapter 16. Let's go to Romans 8 through 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5. I would that you all would speak with tongues. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all in verse 18. Verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, don't tell someone that they shouldn't speak in tongues. Why? Because that's been passed down from generation to generation. And I'm going to make sure with everything inside of me that he keeps getting passed on down. We got to love the word of God. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You better make it up in your mind today. My family's going to live for God because I'm going to love the word of God. We still believe in holiness. Someone say holiness. holiness. We got any holiness believers in here? That's a doctrine. That's just not a standard. That's a doctrine. That goes along with the oneness of God. You start pulling at that thread, everything comes unraveled. We still preach 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who had called you is holy, you be holy in all manner of conduct. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Amen. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men. And holiness. Someone say holiness. holiness. 
without which no one shall see Jesus. That's why Paul wrote to Roman in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just what you're supposed to do when you think about Jesus Christ. Be not conformed to this world. Don't look like the world. Don't talk like the world. Don't watch what the world watches. Don't listen to what they listen to. We are called to be different. We're called out from among them to be separate. Any Pentecostal, apostolic still believe in praise and worship. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. I can't help but not be silent. Let your will be broken right now. Let your composure and your pride be broken right now. Can someone magnify Jesus? Whether you got rhythm or not, maybe wave your hands, clap your hands, lift your voice. Let's magnify the name that's above every single name. We can't afford to let the next generation lose truth. We can't allow the next generation to not know God. We can't afford to let the next generation be lost. Someone say a lost generation. Will Mancini wrote in a book how Christians rely on four Ps to disciple their families rather than doing it themselves at home. These four things are the place, personality, programs, and people. Place. According to Mancini's studies, reveals that people believe that if they have a nice building, their family will be saved. That we need a slide in the children's center. We need a coffee shop. We need donuts with AWPC every week. That's what's going to win the world. We need all the amenities. But Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Yes, the place helps, but what we need more than a place is we need the power of God. His studies also reveal that when one's children aren't living for God, children aren't living for God, they often blame the leadership. Gossip. Slander. Well, what happens when that man or woman of God has a word for your child? And they don't accept it because all they can hear ringing in their spirit and in their heart is what you said negative about that leadership. That we need the best personality. We need an introvert. We need an extrovert. If the pastor was better, if he spent more time with my family, if he was like this, if he was like that, then maybe, just maybe, the world will be saved. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. A personality sure does help. But what we need more than a place, what we need more than a personality is the power. That third P, programs. We need programs in the church. We need a ministry for every kind of people. But programs is a vehicle 
But the thing that's going to get them from this world to heaven is I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, the problem with the church is the people. We need all the people to be the same. We need them all to think the same way, to like the same style of music, because that's the only way some people are going to worship. We need them to have the same political preference. And if not, we're going to argue in comments on Facebook and not show the world that we have loved one for another. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The people is not the problem. The problem is that we need the power of God in every service, in every prayer meeting, in every Bible study. Let's get the power of God here. All these things matter, and they definitely help. But our cornerstone must be Jesus. We must experience Jesus in our lives at home. Someone say at home. Because the battle isn't here. The battle is at home. Now I love AWPC. I miss y'all so much. Me and my wife, we opened the cards y'all gave us when we left. We cried. We thanked God. We worshiped for our great time here. This is home. I love Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. So many great memories. We have a great place. Platform is nice. It's roomy now. They did some renovations. The facilities are always clean. You don't go in the bathroom and wonder if you run out of toilet paper. Even during the pandemic, it was always stocked. (laughs) There's always paper towels and soap. The lawn looks great. We have a fun children's church space. The youth group has a great setup for services, as well as connecting before and after our service. Our pastor is incredible. I don't think y'all understand really how incredible Brother John's is. When we get to heaven, we're going to see all the hours sacrificed, all the days fasted, all the times praying for our souls. We have an incredible pastor and pastor's wife. Can we please honor Brother John's and Sister John's? Thank you for over 25 years of excellent, incredible ministry, not just here, but all over the world. You're so humble, both of you, but you all are incredible. You're pillars of faith. You're giants. Our pastoral team is incredible. Ryan, Brandon, Joel, Brother Jury, the staff, they're incredible. All diverse gifts. But we have some great personalities. Somehow they just blend and we all just work together and great things happen. We have incredible moves of God. So we have the place. We have the personality. We have some great programs like small groups, which is starting back up. You need to sign up. Stop complaining if you're not showing up. I'll leave it there. Christmas banquet, fall festival. Don't complain that the church needs to be better with more programs for your family if you're not going to get a part of making the programs that we do already have better for other families. And then the people. So we got the place. We got great personalities. We have incredible programs. We're organized. You go all over teaching about programs. So we have those. And we have great people. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a great person. Look at someone else that you actually believe and say, you're a great person. I mean it. Y'all are incredible. You're generous and sacrificial in giving. You're fun. You show up. We're multi-generational, multicultural. We get along. We love God together. We have great people. So it's not about the people, the place, the, the personality, or the programs. Those ingredients are beneficial, and they are essential. They are essential. We need each and every one of them. 
We need the building. We need a great pastor. We need good programs. We need good people. But those things are not going to bring salvation alone. What we need as the cornerstone is the power of God. We need truth to be passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. We need the power of God to be demonstrated more than just on Sundays and Wednesdays. It must be in our homes because the battle for our souls is at home. If I want Kailea to learn the piano, do you think she's really going to get good at it? If I bring her to church and say, Brother Brandon, you have three hours, one hour on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you teach her how to play the piano, and that's the only time she touches it? No. She has to practice at home if she's actually going to get good, right? Yeah. Some of y'all parents have kids that you're trying to make learn music, and you understand that. It's a struggle. They don't want to practice. If it's that way for music, how much more is it in the Word of God? For us to not just expect six hours at church, three, four on Sunday, and then two, two and a half on Wednesday night. How much more should we get the word of God in our homes? Because they're never going to learn the word of God if it's only on a Sunday and a Wednesday. If the only time they hear the name of Jesus is from Pastor John's or Brother Joel or Brother Jury or any of these other great preachers, and they never hear it from your lips at home, they're probably not going to know. So what should we do? Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9, they shall teach them diligently unto thy children, should talk about them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou lie down, when thou rise up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and upon the frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Everywhere we go, we must talk to our children about the word of God. When Kalea wakes up, I got to tell her, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He loves you so much, and you love him with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We must get it at home. We must teach our children diligently if they're ever going to make it. How does one generation go from godliness and then the next generation go to godlessness? It's because something wasn't passed down from one generation to the next. Bruce Wilkerson wrote a book titled First Hand Faith. In this book, he gave the analogy of three generations using three chairs. I want to use this illustration to help us better understand Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. The first chair represents the first person or generation to be born again and become a part of the church with a big C, the global body of Christ. They had to completely change their lifestyle to line up to the word of God. The second chair represents their children. They grew up watching the first chair learn and grow. They grew up watching their parents change their beliefs to align to the word of God. They didn't always live like that, but because something happened in the first chair, they had to start changing themselves. And then the third chair is the first chair's grandchildren. So grandparent, child, grandchild. They have two different ways they grow up, and it all depends on the second generation, the second chair. Let's look at some of these characteristics. The first chair is often defined by commitment. Someone say commitment. Commitment. They're dedicated to God. The Bible sets their values. They remember what it was like to be ungodly and unholy. So they don't mind valuing the word of God because they know that living for God is better than anything this world has to offer. The second chair is often defined by convenience. Someone say convenience. Convenience. They're dedicated to their parents that knew God. Their parents set their values. They adopt convictions without understanding the convictions and why they were developed. They live it on the surface, but inwardly, They question it. If so-and-so isn't doing it, why do I have to do it? And so they start to live for God out of convenience. 
They have an apostolic style, but they're missing an apostolic lifestyle. They didn't live the stories personally. They just knew about the sacrifice and the miracles, but they didn't experience it for themselves. So there's commitment, convenience. In this third chair, the grandchild is often defined by compromise. Someone say compromise. They're dedicated to themselves as they try to survive living under parents that barely live for God. They set their own values because their parents don't live what they preach. They've been raised in the land, but they don't value the land. They have the prize, but they didn't experience the process. So they do what was right in their own eyes. It's hard for this generation to see their parents talk the talk, but not walk the walk. American history shows this principle of how one generation is lost, but something wasn't passed down. The Civil War was a great opportunity afterwards to start off on the right track. The first generation after the Civil War rebuilt America. It was making some really good changes. African Americans were growing and progressing financially. The next generation included men like Edison, Ford, and the Wright brothers. America continued to progress. There was a black Wall Street in Oklahoma. And then the third generation was defined by the Great Depression. Yet there was another rebuild. President Roosevelt fulfilled Roosevelt's 100 days. The second generation was booming and growing with radar, nuclear science, computer technology, and moon travel. America started to be ripped apart again in the third generation during the hippie movement because of sexual immorality and drug use. Church history also shows this pattern of three chairs, three generations. The third generation after the apostles in the book of Acts, all of a sudden they started to use philosophy to try to understand the word of God. And they developed a doctrine called the Trinitarian doctrine, which is false because that word isn't even in our Bible. Because something was lost in translation. Biblical history also shows this pattern. Rahab was the first generation. She's one who tied that scarlet thread on the window, saving her and her family. She was a harlot. Yet she found grace through obedience. Rahab and Salmon had another son named Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had Obed. Obed had Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. Jesse was the father of the young man who killed Goliath. But if you remember the story of David's anointing, when the prophet Samuel came to him and said, I want to anoint one of your sons king, Jesse had something lost in translations through the generations because he hosted up his first seven sons. He didn't even think of the weak young boy named David out with the sheep. He didn't remember that Rahab the harlot was saved. That no matter how far you are, no matter how messed up your life is, that God can still use you. And so he didn't think David was even able to be used. So he didn't even consider his son David because he forgot about grandmother. He forgot about the first chair and what God did in her life. And so he didn't even approach David to be anointed. And this pattern is also found in Judges chapter 2. Verse 7, that scripture we read at the beginning. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Those two generations who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done in Israel. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation, someone say another generation. There arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served other gods. This first generation of elders were the ones who inherited the promised land. They saw God's promises come to pass. They heard the stories of what this wonderful place was going to be like. And they not only just saw it, they got to step into it. The second generation heard the stories of the parting of the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho coming down. They heard the stories, but they weren't there. This generation got comfortable in the promised land. 
We've been in church, so we're comfortable, convenient, barely making it by. They didn't have to fight for truth as hard as the first generation. They just received the benefits of the sacrifices made by their parents. But the tragedy comes in the third chair because they didn't know the Lord. They did evil. They even worshipped other gods. Where was the disconnect? The first generation asked, what is right in God's eyes? What does God say about this? The second generation asked, what's right in your eyes? What's right in my mom and dad's eyes? What is everybody else doing? And the third generation asked, what's right in my own eyes? Because I'm compromised. Truth wasn't handed down at home. Well, what about those four Ps? The Israelites would have lived for God if they had the perfect place, personality, programs, and people. They had the perfect place. It was the promised land. They had personality. Joshua, who learned under Moses, he built memorials, and he knew God. They had programs, the 12 tribes of Israel, the temple. They had people. They were God's chosen people. What were they missing? They didn't do it at home. Albert Outler wrote, it's as if an earlier generation understood it all and then forgot to tell their children who never asked. The disconnect isn't at church. It's at home. Joshua declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's generation lived for God because they made up in their mind that their household, the parents and the children, were going to serve the Lord. But what about the next generation? They didn't make that same commitment. Joshua said, as for me and my house. But the second chair never said that. And so what happened with the third generation? They didn't know the Lord. They did evil, and they even served other gods. It's not just the job of the second and third chair to know truth. It's the job of the previous generation to pass it down to the next generation. We are a multicultural, multi-generational church reaching for the next generation. That doesn't mean that we live out of convenience and we come all the way over here, but instead we're reaching with everything we have, pulling that generation in from compromise. We're bringing them to commitment because we want them to live just like the elders did and just like their elders did. We want our children and our children's children to be blessed. And so in order to do that, we must pass down truth, not just here, but we must take it home. What I love about the elders is that nothing was lost in translation. They knew who Jesus was, and he was the center of their lives. He wasn't just a fallback plan. Jesus wasn't something that they fit around school, work, and play. Jesus was at the center of their entire life. It's unfortunate to pass down a love for a sports team more than a love for the Word of God. It's unfortunate to pass on a Bible just for it to get dusty and never to be read again. It's unfortunate to pass on rules instead of a relationship. It's unfortunate to pass on hobbies instead of holiness. It's unfortunate to pass on a political preference more than a Pentecostal experience. It's unfortunate to post on social media about temporal things rather than to proclaim eternal things. It's unfortunate to pass on a love for fishing than rather than being a fisher of men. It's unfortunate to pass on barely living for God. But then in all their school activities, we say, sell out, give your all and everything else. But in God, convenience. It's unfortunate to pass on sinful prejudice, sinful hate and racism for a person that's different than you, rather than hate 
for a sin. We better get it right today, church, or the next generation is going to be lost for eternity. If we live for God out of convenience, it will always cause the next generation to compromise. And compromise is calling good evil and evil good. You can go there. You can watch that. You can say that good is evil and evil is good now. But I don't care what we call it. Sin is sin. And sin always has the same consequences. Sin still destroys life. It still tears apart families. It still steals joy. It kills hope. And it ultimately leads to death. So God forbid the next generation compromises because I don't want to make up in my mind. I don't want to be a man of faith and live for God. I'm not going to live out of convenience. I'm going to live with commitment. But I've only mentioned three chairs. There's a fourth chair. The fourth chair is either far removed from God or extremely blessed by the legacy passed down through generations. Lincoln, his dad Joel, his dad brother Johns, his dad daddy Doc, four generations living for God. Lincoln received the gift of the Holy Ghost a couple years back and was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Lincoln get to bask in the blessings of God it's because one generation was committed but the next generation also said hey I'm going to be committed and then the next generation said I'm also going to be committed thank you so much for your godly legacy passed to me because now that I have a daughter now that I hold that precious baby in my arms I realize that's a soul for eternity and so I can live out of convenience I can say, oh, the church preaches that, but I don't have to do it. But if I'm not committed, it's not just about me. Think about it. It's about that beautiful baby girl named Kalea. So something clicked in my spirit January 12, 2021. It's not about DJ. Yes, I would love to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, I don't want to sacrifice sometimes. Yes, it would be better to just be halfway in church, halfway out of church. Yes, it would be good not to be faithful and not to show up to church, but then complain that they need to do better and I don't even show up to help. Yes, that would be easy. Everyone else in the world's doing it. But what takes hard work is commitment to God. And when we are committed to God, we can see my nephew LJ last week receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And today he's going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because something was handed down from generation to generation to generation. And it wasn't at church. It was at home. This fourth chair is often defined as careless. This generation is careless about the things of God. And the world sets its values. And oftentimes, that great-grandchild doesn't even know the God that the great-grandparents serve. They don't know why they go to church or why they dress that way. Because somewhere along the way, they became careless. Because of convenience and compromise. We can't be so proud of how far we've come as a church, Atlanta West, that we leave the next generation behind. 
but that doesn't have to be the case. They don't have to be careless. They can be carriers, carriers of this legacy of truth. They can carry on this one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled, righteous living, people-loving lifestyle that we get from the Word of God. Your generation can be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Jacob one day got down. He wrestled with God, and he made a commitment for himself, and so all the generations were blessed. So my question is, when you and I die, will the next generation have truth? Or be lost. Majority of our children's formative years are in our homes, not at school, and definitely not at church. So, how are we going to ensure our children love the Word of God? Because either we believe this or we don't. Either this is essential or it isn't. It's either heaven or hell. And the only way the difference is going to be made and that the next generation isn't lost is Deuteronomy 6. Teach them diligently unto thy children. Talk about Jesus and his word when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you wake up. Find them for a sign upon your hand and the frontlets between thine eyes. Write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. In other words, take it home. Take it home. know I preach with conviction maybe even a little bit hard but don't let being uncomfortable prevent you from answering what God's calling us to do today because we all need to look in the mirror it's easy to point fingers and say well you should have said it this way you could do this you could we can change the people the place the personalities the programs but where it has to start is home and so if you feel convicted if you feel uncomfortable in your spirit and you're wrestling like man that that kind of hit hard I wonder if you can lift your hands with me right now all across this place. And can you close your eyes and can you start to pour out your heart to God and say, God, I'm going to live committed. I know I might have done it in the past, but just like Rahab, it's going to start with me. Maybe, young person, your parents aren't living for God the way they should. It can start with you. You be committed to the Word of God. You sell out. You do everything you can to be committed and pass on truth to the next generation. You might be a first-generation apostolic. Your coworker, your neighbor, your family members are depending on you to be committed, to live what you preach, to talk the talk, and to walk the walk so they can have a hope in eternity. So be committed. Be committed. That's it. Cry out to God right now. Can we all stand? Atlanta West, I love you. But I'm coming to preach hard today. Not because you have a problem, but because what is Atlanta West going to look like in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years if God tarries? Are they still going to have preachers that preach one name, Jesus' name, baptism behind his pulpit? Are they still going to live holy? Are they going to look like every other crowd that they call themselves a church all over North America and the world? Are there still going to be people that love the Word of God, that care about it, that do devotions in their home, that delete apps, that unplug technology to make sure that we rightly divide the Word of truth, that we talk about God every single day? Or are we going to talk more about a sports team and social media and politics and all that other garbage that's going to fade away? Or are we going to get serious at home and talk about eternal things so that the next generation isn't lost?